Be seated, please. Our scripture reading this morning will come from Judges 16, verses 4 and 5. Judges 16, verses 4 and 5. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out what his great strength, where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Went into the kitchen this morning to make the coffee. That's a wonderful thing to do first thing in the morning, is to go into the kitchen and make the coffee I walked in, and on the side of the refrigerator next to our coffee pot is a calendar. And I looked at it, and it said July. And I thought, "Mm, it's not July anymore, is it? And I tore off that calendar page of July and began to look at August, not believing that it was really true, that we're really now into the month of August. And I got to thinking about the month of August, and I got to thinking about this day. And I was reminded that it is this day that David Vestal begins preaching for the Lord's Church in Mathis. I got to thinking about he and Brienne and the move and where they are and where they find themselves and how proud I know so many of you are of where they are now. I can relate. Julie and I uh, did something similar, packed up a moving truck, moved several hours away from home, away from parents, and embarked on a new journey, and we find ourselves still journeying that journey But please keep David and Brianne in your prayers and the good work that they're doing with their family now uh, in Mathis. The calendar switches to the month of August, and that also means for several of our young people, it's back to school. Whether you are public schooled, private schooled, homeschooled, or old school, well, the month of August brings changes to many of us in our lives and the things that we have going on. I'll just tell you, this sermon that I want to preach this morning, I was asked to preach at Bible camp this last summer. The theme of camp was love. And a lot of the preachers in the evenings, we had sermons at night, and we had, of course, Bible classes through the day. And they had different subjects that were given to them. And a lot of the preachers in the evenings got to talk about relationships uh, in a very positive way. They looked at love between friends like David and Jonathan. And, and love between husbands and wives in a very good and positive way. And looking to other examples, and, and my buddy John, who directs that session, gave me Samson and Delilah. Samson and Delilah, he said, I want to look at the opposite side of that kind of love. I want to think about friendship and think about marriage, but then I also want to think about love gone wrong. And I'll tell you this morning, I am talking to a lot of our young people, and I want you to think about this very, very seriously, these things that I have to say as we look to the life of Samson. But this is not a sermon only for young people, a sermon only for single people, but I think there's something in this for all of us, and I hope that we'll be serious as we approach the subject matter this morning. Now, what I want to do is look at the life of Samson through the four women in his life. 
I just want to look at the four women in the life of Samson. I hope this will provide an overview of his life, mistakes that were made, positives that went right, but in the end, a God who is over all. I want you to see that this morning as we look at the life of Samson, again, through the lens of the four women in his life. I want to begin this morning, I'll turn this on, by looking, first of all, to his mother. In Judges chapter 13, we read about his mother. We're never given her name, and so we will call her Mrs. Manoah. His father's name was Manoah. This is Manoah's wife. And in Judges chapter 13, we get a glimpse of the life of Samson before Samson is even born. I think it's really neat when the Bible does this. You know, it does this, it does this with men like Moses and Samuel and John the Baptist. Before we are really introduced to those men, we are first introduced to their parents. And that's what happens with Samson. The first introduction we have is to Samson's parents. And I want you to think about, this is a very positive look at marriage, a very positive look at godliness. And I want you to see it with me for a moment through the lens of Mrs. Manoah, Samson's mother. Young people, I want you to find someone that you can marry who will do these things. In Judges chapter 13, we find an angel of God comes not to both parents, but to just Mrs. Manoah. An angel of the Lord comes to his mother and says, you're going to have a son. And from the womb, you will eat nothing unclean. You will drink nothing of the vine. And you're going to behave yourself in a very positive way because from the womb, he's going to be dedicated to me. He's going to be a Nazarite. Comes not to both parents, but just to his mother. All right? And so then his, the angel leaves, and Manoah's wife comes to Manoah and says, Hey, this angel of the Lord just came to me, and this is what he said. And the first thing they do, the very first thing they do, the Bible says in Judges 13 and verse 8, Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you've sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who to us will be born. The first thing they did together was pray. Find someone who will pray with you. Find someone who loves God as much as you do and will pray with you. To married people, how often do we spend praying with our spouses? I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but I really struggle with this and just finding time to pray alone with my wife. I struggle with this from time to time. There are moments in a morning where Julie and I are the only ones who are up in the house, believe that or not. We're the only ones who are awake, and we can sit there, and, and she'll make a couple of eggs, and we'll sit there, and we'll eat breakfast together, and we'll have a, a time before we eat of saying a prayer. And sometimes, that's the only time that happens in the day. And sometimes that doesn't happen in the day, to my shame. We're looking for people who love God enough to pray with their spouse. That's what they did together. That's the first thing the Bible says they did together. Find somebody who loves God as much as you do who will pray with you. That's important. I want you to find someone in your life who will be invested in your child's future. Parents, are we invested in the futures of our children? Grandparents, are you invested in the future of your grandchildren? Because this is what the Bible says. 
In Judges chapter 13, of course we see this in verse number 8 as we've already read. Teach us what we shall do for the child who is to be born or will be born. In verse number 12, Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and what will be his work? The child isn't even born. The child hasn't even been conceived. And yet they're already asking, what's his work going to be? They're already looking ahead and they're planning for the child's future. I want to find somebody who's invested in the future of my children. Find somebody who's already invested in the future of your children. Find somebody who will stay committed to the future of your children. This is extremely important. We're dealing with the next generation. Who's coming along? Who's going to lead? Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to make sure that God is put first? Who's going to be making sure that the work of the Lord continues? I say this to the boys. You know, they don't often... I don't say that. I'll say it a different way. Sometimes, sometimes they ask, Dad, do I really need to get up in Pew Packers lead a song? I don't say that to put them down. I did the same thing when I was their age. Normal, just like me, I think, when I was at that age. Do I really need to do that every single week? I say, boys, someday that's going to be you, right? Someday that's going to be you who's going to be standing up and helping other young people to be leading. Someday that's going to have to be you who's standing up and preaching those sermons. Someday that's going to be you standing up and leading those songs, reading the scriptures, leading prayers, helping us like Aaron to think about Jesus and his sacrifice as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Someday that's got to be you. Find someone who's invested in the future of your children. What is true success? Living my life. Going to heaven. Find somebody who's going to help your children get home, because that's what this is about. You see that in these parents, don't you? Right right from the get-go, Samson is blessed with great parents. They pray together. They're invested in his future, even before his conception. Find someone who loves God enough to worship him together with you. In verse number 19, the Bible says, So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. Verse 20 says, It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. That's the next one, by the way. Humility. Find somebody who will worship God with you. Find somebody who wants to love God as much as you do. Find somebody who's interested in God and godliness and putting God first in their lives, who will go with you and hold your hand while you pray, who will sit by you as you worship and sing praises to God together. This is important. Find somebody who loves God like you do, who will worship with you as God commands it to be done. And in the end, will humble themselves before God. I'm telling you, these are qualities that you need to be thinking about uh, even before the time comes. You know, I used to sit there when I was uh, 10, 11, 12 years old, and you'd hear a preacher talk about marriage and these kinds of things, and you just kind of tune him out because you say, that is so far into the future that that doesn't even apply to me. I don't even need to be thinking about that. Well, you probably don't need to be thinking about that, but... 
there is a way that you do need to be thinking about that. You need to be thinking ahead now to the one that you're going to choose to spend the rest of your life with. Julie and I have been married for as long now as I lived under the roof of my parents. And if the Lord wills, I will live with her under our roof much longer than I lived with my parents. You know who's going to have more to say about my eternal destiny than anyone else? My wife. I I think to myself and I say often, when I get to heaven and I see God, I will turn around and hug my wife and say thank you because she will be the one who helped me get there. I I don't believe I, I could do this by myself without her. You need to look for someone who will help you get home. That's what this is about. And this is what we find the picture of in Judges chapter 13. This is Samson's mother. And so you say to yourself, wow, Samson, look at you. You got it made, don't you? You've got parents who love the Lord. You've got parents who pray together, who worship together, who are humble before God. You must have been the perfect child and you must have been the perfect adult. Guess what? Samson blew it. Samson is one of the most discouraging characters that you'll read of in all of the Bible. A scoundrel, if you want to just put it the way it is. A scoundrel. He had the perfect example. I'm not saying his parents were perfect, but he had wonderful examples. Wonderful parents who loved him, who invested in him. The Bible says in chapter 13 and verse 24, the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Samson had every advantage, every advantage spiritually that anyone could have. Physically, I mean, he had it all. Spiritually, he had it all. He had wonderful examples that he could look up to and emulate and and people that, that really loved God and wanted to help him to love God. But when he grew up, young people, he had a mind of his own and he decided that he would rebel. I think it's just the saddest thing that you can read is, is that Samson rebelled in the end against his parents. I'm not saying that they were perfect. In fact, we see some of their imperfections come out in life number one. In fact, if I were to quiz you this morning and ask you, uh, how many wives did Samson have? And what was the name? If I were to ask you, what's the name of Samson's wife? What if I told you the Bible says he only had one wife and we do not know her name? He only had one wife and it was not Delilah. You know that? I don't know why we don't teach that. I I don't know why. I I always thought in my mind, maybe you did too, maybe I'm the only one, who thought, well, Delilah was his wife. Nope. Never says she was his wife. But he was married once. And he was married to a Philistine. Now, you drop over to chapter 14. And the Bible says in verse 1, Now Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. 
So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. And his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. If you underline in your Bible, would you underline a couple of words? How about the word saw in verse number one? He saw a woman. In verse number two, underline the word seen. I have seen a woman of the daughters of the Philistines. Get her for me for a wife. And in verse number three, the last sentence, underline it. Get her for me for she pleases me well. What was pleasing about her? The outside. That's all he saw. I saw a woman. I have seen her. Go get her for me, for she pleases me well. All he saw was her outside. He said, I like what I see. Go and get her for me. He knew nothing about her, it would seem. He knew uh, very little of her personality, it would seem. He knew very little of her makeup and what was inside of her. All he saw was the outside. I'm telling you, young people and others, you'll make a mistake if you only look to what's on the outside. Attraction is important. I'm not saying it's not. Marry someone that that attracts you, that you're attracted to. Outside appearance is important. I'm not saying it's not. But I am saying, that's not all there is to it. Beauty is fading, the Bible says. It's not always going to look the same. I don't look the same as when I got married. I don't look the same as I did when I was a teenager. Things change. I tell Julie, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry that this is what you got. I'm sorry that this is what you wound up with. But beauty is going to fade and you're going to change. You're not going to be the same. You better fall in love with something other than what's on the outside. Samson made a mistake. He only looked at her outside. And and this was a mistake and and we better be uh, better than that. The other mistake he made was this. I want you to listen to me very carefully The mistake he made was looking outside of the spiritual body. Now, this is the warning that his parents give him in verse number 3. Isn't there a woman from among your brethren that you have to leave your brethren and go to the uncircumcised Philistines? Now, if you go back to chapter 13 and verse 1, let's just get a picture here. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Who are these Philistines? They are the enemy. They are the oppressor. They are the ones who have their thumb on God's people. And Samson, you want to go to the enemy to find a wife? Young people, you you want to leave? the Lord's body, and you want to go get a wife or a husband outside of the Lord? When you look at Samson and you look at that that situation, does that make sense to you? you? You're going to go to the Philistines, the enemy, and find a wife? 
That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to go outside of the Lord either. I'm telling you, it doesn't make sense. I'm not saying that it is sinful to marry someone who's not a Christian. I can't find that in the New Testament, that it is a, a sin to marry someone who's not a Christian. But I'm telling you, it's not wise to marry someone who's not a Christian. At the end of Pew Packers every week, what do we ask? When I grow up, if I choose to get married, and I'm telling you, you don't have to get married. You can go to heaven as a single person. That's really okay. But if you choose to get married, who should you marry? And you always say, a faithful Christian. You know why? Because that's wise. Because that is wise. Samson looked outside of God's people, and it was not wise. I remember being a teenager, and I'll just say this. The woman that I married was not a Christian when we started dating. She was not. There were no Christians to date in my town. My sister was the only female Christian my, around my age. So that really limited the pool around where I grew up in mid-Missouri. So Julie and I started dating when I was a senior in high school. She was a junior. My parents came to me and said, Adam, don't you get too serious about that girl. Don't you? And they loved her, and there wasn't anything against her, but they were telling me, they were giving me wise counsel, and they said, Adam, don't get too serious about that girl. You marry a Christian. Well, when we got married, she was a Christian. It worked out. And I'm not telling you today that, that if you marry one who is not a Christian, that, that, that doesn't mean that, or that means that you're automatically going to leave the church. I'm not saying that. It's not an automatic. But I know what the statistics are. And the statistics prove or show that those who marry non-Christians have a greater, in fact, much greater likelihood of leaving the church, of walking away from God. I'm just showing you that it's not wise. Don't hate me, please, for delivering something that is godly advice. I'm telling you, that's Samson's mistake. Now, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to speak out of both sides of my mouth. I'm telling you what's wise. I'm telling you that it can work out. But you will be wise if you marry a faithful Christian. You say, well, Adam, this, this had to work out, right? I mean, here, this has to be a Hollywood ending, right? It's going to work out, right? He went and married a Philistine, and he converted her, and they lived happily ever after. How does the story go? Wow. You just keep reading that chapter. And let me tell you how this turns out. How does it end? This marriage between Samson and the Philistine, how does it turn out? Well, Samson told a riddle to some of her friends, and they couldn't answer it, and so they bribe her, and she ends up uh, telling the, the riddle to her buddies, her friends, and they tell Samson, and Samson gets really upset, and he goes and kills 30 Philistines. Well, then he leaves. Now the Philistines are all hot under the collar because he's killed 30 of them. And so uh, her dad ends up giving her to uh, the best man in their wedding as a wife. 
So now Samson's wife is married, in essence, to his best man in their wedding. How's that sound? That sounds pretty terrible. Well, Samson comes back and he goes to dad and he knocks on the door and says, Hey, I'm here for my wife. Let me go on up to her room. And dad says, "Uh, Sorry, I thought you hated her. I gave her to your best man. Well, how did Samson feel then? He's not happy now. So it's about time for harvest. And so he gathers 300 foxes. He takes them two by two and ties their tail together and puts a torch in between each of those. And he sets them loose in their grain fields. And fire consumes all of their grain fields and all of their olive and vineyards. Oh, now the Philistines, they're hot under the collar. Now they're really burned up. Pun intended. They're really upset. And so uh, they, they come and they take Samson's wife and her dad and they burn them at the stake. What does Samson do? Samson finds a jawbone of a donkey and he slays a thousand Philistines with a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And I ask you, how did that turn out? Is that a Hollywood ending? Happily ever after. I'm telling you no. That did not work out well. That was a mistake that was made to marry this Philistine wife. I'm not saying that that's the way it's always going to work out. I'm saying that's how it worked out here, and it wasn't wise. Number three. Oh, young people. Judges chapter 16. By the way, did you know that there are two chapters in the book of Judges that cover the Philistine wife? There are two chapters in the book of Judges that cover the Philistine wife. Do you know how how much attention Delilah gets in the book of Judges? Depending on your math, 17 or 18 verses. Who do we know about? We know about Delilah. Why don't we know more about this wife? She doesn't get the attention. Here we go. Judges chapter 16. The Bible says in verse number 1, Samson went to Gaza and he saw a harlot there and he went into her. And when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight, and then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill which faces Hebron. Miles he carried these doors, these gates. I mean, he was a massive man, a massive individual with tremendous strength like you and I have never seen in our lives. But he was weak. He was weak. And he gave in to the flesh. In Judges chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. He gave in to the flesh. The Bible tells us that he gave in to the the lust of the flesh. And so here is another pitfall that you would do well to avoid. Do not give in to the lust of the flesh. I want to make it very, very plain for you. And parents, I'm sorry if you have some explaining to do. I'll, I'll apologize now. But I'm telling you, young people, you know this. Sexual relations that are between a husband and wife are not to be had before marriage or outside of marriage. That's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. 
Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators, God will judge. He's serious about it. And we need to be serious about it. Samson stepped outside of marriage and had sexual relations with a woman of the night, a harlot. And again, this is something that we need to be open and and honest about, that we need to make sure that we understand exactly what the Bible says. I want you to turn over in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs with me. Proverbs chapter 7. I want you just to think about it with me. Uh, Sexual relations before marriage, outside of marriage, being sinful. The devil is sneaky good. He is incredibly good at what he does. He, he lets us come up with excuses in our minds. Hey, I, I think I'm going to marry this girl. I think I'm going to marry him anyway. So we'll just go ahead and enjoy ourselves now. Hey, I, I, you know what? This is my body and I'll use it however I want to use it. And God's going to be okay with that. No, he's not. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 18. Come, this is what the prostitute says to the young man, come and let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. And isn't that what the world says? It's making love. I love her and I want to show her how much I love her. I love him and I want to show him how much I love him. That's what the harlot offers. Come and let us fill ourselves with love all night. That's what she offers. But down in the end of the chapter, we get what she actually delivers. If you drop down with me in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 25 through 27, the the writer goes on to say, do not, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Wow. This is what she offers love all night long. What she actually delivers is a soul to the depths of hell. You think God isn't serious? You think He's not serious about sexual relations? You think He's not serious about relationships? You think He's not serious about how we need to conduct ourselves as we live in the flesh? He is serious, young people, old people, all people. He is serious about this. This is the way it looks. The Bible says back in chapter 5 in the book of Proverbs, beginning, I want to actually back up to verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. I'm telling you, this is wise, he's saying, that that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable, you do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way, listen, far from her. Do not 
Go near the door of her house. He's serious, isn't he? He's offering protection. Go far from her. Far from her. She's going to destroy your soul. That's what he's saying. You go and commit yourself to this one and you conduct yourself in a sinful way. It's going to lead to the destruction of your soul. He's serious about it. And so please, young people, don't get close. Don't put yourself in a position to cross that line. Don't even start your feet down that path by getting into a sinful behavior like pornography. Stay completely away from it. It's the wrong kind of love. It's the wrong kind. That's not what God wants. Stay away from that. Don't put yourself in those situations. I hope I haven't become your enemy because I tell you the truth. But here's the number four, Delilah. She's number four. I don't know. We don't know the other three very well, but she's number four. This is what I want you to know. <laughs> don't let love be blind. It's irony, isn't it? Because in the end, where did Delilah get Samson? Both of his eyes gouged out. Small, weak, and chained up. Enslaved. That's where she got him. But I would tell you that of the four women, this is the only one. And Brother Taylor read for, this, uh, read for us uh, as I started this sermon in, in Judges chapter 16 and verse number 4. This is the only woman the Bible says Samson loved. This is the woman the Bible says Samson loved. It doesn't say that about his wife. It doesn't say that about his mother. It doesn't say that about the harlot. But it says about Delilah, his live-in girlfriend, if you will, that this is the woman he loved. Interesting, isn't it? In the end, he fell in love with a woman who was greedy and selfish. Now, I'm not saying that I, I, I wouldn't have thought perhaps about it. If you read there, and of course, Brother Taylor read for us in verse number 5, that the Philistine lords came and they said, we're going to each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. The Bible in other places tells us that there are potentially five lords of the Philistines, which means that this was potentially 5,500 pieces of silver. Remind me, how many pieces of silver did Judas betray Jesus for? 30? And she's being offered potentially 5,000, over 5,000 pieces of silver? I mean, this is a nice chunk of change. And she said, Yes, I will. I don't love him that much. I don't care about him that much. I will help you get him. She was greedy. And she was selfish. And in the end, Samson was not thinking with his head. He was thinking with his heart. But God, I love her. That must mean it's okay. But God, I love him. And if that's who I love, then it must be okay with you. And God says, 
What's love got to do with it? I want you to obey me. I want you with me. I want you to love me. No, it's not okay. You don't get to just marry whoever you want to marry because you love them. God says, I have rules, and I want you to love me, and I want you to obey me. And that's what I want you to think about. I want to love God more than I love my wife. I want to love God more than I love my husband. I want to love God more than I love my children. Because if I love Him first, then all those others take care of themselves. I will love my wife as Jesus loved the church and gave Himself for her. I I will know that my wife loves me. And that's the way God commanded her to do so. So, young people, I'm not trying to be downer. I'm really not. I'm trying to help you today. I'm trying to look at the life of Samson and wonder, why is this in my Bible? And what does God want me to know? I think it's important for us to know these important things. But more than anything, oh, this is what I've come to tell you. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to God. You know, a scoundrel like Samson... (laughs) He ends up in Hebrews chapter 11. Doesn't that make you scratch your head just a minute and say, what? This scoundrel who did all these things, who had a Philistine wife and he killed all those Philistines and and this scoundrel who went into a harlot and this scoundrel who who loved a a Philistine woman and, and she ended up getting his eyes gouged out and he lost all of his strength when they cut his hair. And What? I mean, how does he make it into this hero's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? But he's there. He's there. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 32, the Bible says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Samson is listed in the same verse as David. Get it? Verse number 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Hmm, that sounds like Samson, doesn't it? At the end of the story, Samson gets his hair to grow back. He gets his strength back. He's chained between these two pillars, and he asks God one more time, please give me my strength. And the Bible says he pulled on those pillars, and all of it came collapsing down, and he killed more Philistines in his death than he had killed his entire life. Hebrews 11 is talking about the end of Samson's life. Not all the rest of it. He is praised for the end of his life when he came to depend on God finally. Now you go back and you read for yourself Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. And I want you, as you do, to think about God in the life of Samson. As you read those chapters, I want you to think about God in chapter 13. The God who blessed his life. You remember reading that? God blessed him. 
As you get into other chapters, you will find that after he slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, you will find that Samson, he might think of this, boy, he worked up quite a thirst. In fact, he thought he was going to die. And the Bible says that God split the earth open and water came gushing out so that Samson could drink and refresh himself. God did that for him. You know, Samson's strength was really not in his hair. His strength was in God. It was God who provided him that strength. It was God who was with him every step of the way. It was God who provided him everything he needed in life. And it is God who provides you with everything you need in life. Why would you choose to waste your life only to be faithful in the end? Why would you not be faithful to Him always? You see, it's not just a lesson for young people. It's a lesson for us all. It's a lesson that reminds us of a great God who loves us and takes care of us. It's a lesson about a great God who blesses us in every step of the way through our lives. It is a God who is the Creator and we but the created. And it's a God who allows us to make up our own minds. We get to choose faithfulness or we get to choose to go away from Him. But the choice is mine and it's yours. Don't wait until the end of your life to finally come to depend on Him. I wonder, when will your life end? I don't think, I don't know, but I doubt rather that my life is going to end with me chained between two pillars. For Samson, it was pretty easy to tell. (laughs) I think this is it. But who knows for us? I, uh, I'm thinking that, that ages are getting uh, younger all the time. 46, well, that's a young person. This 46-year-old preacher in Marshall, Texas. He died two days ago with COVID pneumonia. He was healthy. He was 46. Ask him a month prior to that when everything was fine. You think you'll be dead in a month? Nope. Wouldn't have believed it, I I venture to say. Don't wait too late to be right with God. Come to depend on Him. Obey Him and do what He says. This is serious. We're not playing a game. We're really going to stand before Him one day. And we need to be serious about our relationship with Him. Do you believe this morning that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you ready to repent of sin in your life to turn away from it? Are you ready this morning to confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God? Are you ready today to be immersed in baptism, being immersed or dunked in that water, 
putting away your sin, being washed in the precious blood of Jesus, and rising to walk in newness of life, are you ready to do that today? I tell you, it's the best decision you'll ever make. And everything is ready. If you're not a Christian, today is the day. If you're ready to do those things, then please come to the front. But if you're a Christian who has wandered away, something amiss in your life, questions about where you are in your relationship with God, if we can help you in any way, well, that's all we want to do. We want to do that right now. If you'll come now, while together we stand.